Yo, 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 what up guys? Welcome back to the Outside the Box podcast. I, I did that really slow because I felt like there was a beatbox coming on, but then I pulled back when I realized that's probably not something cool to do on the podcast and we want people to listen and not turn away. Uh, anyway, I am Jacques Slade. I want to welcome all of you to the show. Uh, for everyone that's been listening, I know I said this a little bit last week, but we really are super grateful and thankful for all of you guys that listen to the show. The feedback that you have been giving us is amazing. You're really making this show so much better, and it's all because of you. Definitely not because of me. Uh, again, I'm Jacques. You can find me at Cousteau all over the interwebs, but this show, uh, it would be nothing. And uh, I mean nothing, nothing, nothing. <laughs> without these other two uh and that is tiffany beers and nick ingvall nick ingvall go ahead introduce yourself and give them all the details <laughs> nick ingvall here um i've been working in the sneaker business for about 10 to 12 years uh worked at complex soul collector magazine way back in the day uh finish line and most recently StockX. and um really i just love that we have this going on because it gives me an excuse to learn from tiffany she's really the star of the show so uh, why don't you introduce yourself tiffany <laughs> You guys are too much. Uh, Tiffany Beers, I worked at Nike for 13 years. Uh, my most well-known products are probably the Nike Mag and the Hyperadapt. And yeah, you can find me on Instagram and YouTube, Tiffany Beers. Tiffany Beers, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the Nike Mag creator. I, I love, see, the thing with me, I don't like, I, I don't want to stress it. And I know, I feel like I stress this every week, but you just throw like Nike Mag out there. Like, you're like, oh, I invented the paperclip. No, you invented the Nike Mag. It's not like, it's not like you didn't invent something cool. Let me, let me explain something to you. If I invented the Nike Mag, if I was the designer of the Nike Mag and the Nike HyperAdapt 1.0, my family, they probably couldn't talk to me for two weeks. Like, they, they, I just, I would just be like, don't talk to me right now. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but I helped design the Nike Mag and the HyperAdapt 1.0. They laced themselves. Uh, yes, yeah, so please, please refer all questions to my assistant <laughs> for the next two weeks. But that's just me. That's just me. Uh, you know, that's why, you know, God made different people. And, uh, you know, obviously he didn't want me to design the Nike Mag because of how I would act. Anyway, uh, so, 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 so this show, we got a good good show for you guys we got the good stuff planned for you guys today and we're going to kick things off with lebron james lebron has obviously been in the news a ton a ton a ton in the last couple of weeks he opened up the i promise school uh, he moved to the los angeles lakers and uh the lebron 15's actually been doing really really well but one particular LeBron 15, or one LeBron 15 in particular, uh, is going to be, I guess, bigger than the rest. And that is the LeBron James Equality sneakers from the, uh, he wore them in a game this season. That's the 2017-2018 season. And they were in response to a lot of things that were going on in the um, in the community and in regards to uh, athletes being treated fairly and police brutality and stuff in the African-American community. But the shoes are going to the Smithsonian and very specifically, they're not going just to the Smithsonian. They're going to uh, what's the name of the museum? There is a special museum that they're going to. I can't find it. Uh, the Museum here. of African-American uh, History and Culture. Yeah, yep. there you go. Yeah, that, that's great. The, the one black guy on the podcast doesn't know the name of the African-American Museum um, <laughs> of African-American history and culture. So there's there's kind of two ways that two ways that we can approach this. Uh, one is that, you know, this is 
this basically establishes these shoes as almost like a, a part of history and not just like sneaker history, a uh, history that that's bigger than sneakers, which is amazing to me. Um, and then also, you know, it it also shows how big of a star that LeBron is that a museum wants his sneakers. Um, so I guess my question to you guys, I was kind of thinking about this. Is there another pair of shoes that has sort of a relevance beyond just the athlete or anything like that? So I, th- I think the most, um, I would say, like, iconic moment in sneakers in terms of, like, uh, you know, like, beyond sneakers is um, the, what was it? Like, whenever the, um, it was the Mexico City Olympics, Tommy Smith, like, when he held up his fist, he actually, like, prior yes. to that, actually held up, like, or I can't remember if it was right before or right after, actually held up his Puma suede. That's probably, like, to me, is, like, the most, like, you know, vivid, you know, kind of, like, or, or like, most securely stamped on history kind of moment in sneakers um, to this extent, right? Yeah. Um, and, and even more so probably than LeBron. I mean, I hope that, that like, you know, obviously with the school and with his recent stuff with Trump, like, you know, going back and forth and, and even, like, Michael Jordan kind of getting in the mix a little bit, it's just a like a really interesting time and to have this be something that could potentially like put LeBron on that like you know world level outside of sneakers you know and I, I saw I, this totally might be going down a rabbit hole but I saw um, somebody comment that said you know LeBron's going to be our, our president in 20 years or something like that and it's like it's kind of interesting to think about those <laughs> things because if you if you look at like you know Trump came from just an inter- entertainment background and ended up being president Ronald Reagan same kind of thing and like who knows like maybe maybe that's true but this definitely gives him a little bit more credibility you know globally and you know for generations to come yeah I can't think of another piece of footwear that had such a social cause you know obviously a lot of Michael's original pairs and things were valuable but it was just in terms of basketball and, and what he did but like these ones i mean they're right. so special it, it makes me think of actually the boxing gloves like maybe some boxing yeah. gloves might have been as important oh yeah yeah but not yeah, yeah. i can't really think of another product that would have been i mean i guess if we knew some of the shoes that you know some of the uh, prominent people wore during like the big speeches and things that would that would have been cool but i doubt there were sneakers you know yeah, I don't think there are a lot of sneakers made uh, are worn during those times. Yeah, uh, you know what's it, the interesting thing about this is the the conversation of athletes making political statements or taking up social causes, and obviously in the last couple of years, that's something that has dominated a lot of the mainstream media with people feeling that athletes shouldn't speak up or involve themselves in social causes. But at the same time, they want athletes to be involved and to be a part of social causes, which, you know, I I feel like there's a a lot of back and forth about it. And, you know, I'll just give my personal opinion on this. And, you know, I I know this is not the the, the tone of this podcast, but I feel like if an athlete has something to add to the conversation, if he's adding to the community, he or she, I should say, is adding to the community and helping out others are bringing some injustices or inequalities to light then I welcome them speaking. It's, it's interesting and that LeBron gets all this backlash 
because of what he said or what he's doing. But no one said anything when J.J. Watt raised all of that money for the hurricane victims. Um, but that's a different story entirely, I imagine. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think it's really cool that um, that LeBron's stepping out there and that, you know, he's able to, to express himself and use his fashion and something that we know people pay attention to, which is his sneakers, um, to really get that message across. Yeah, I think I, th- I think I agree with you. I think it's absolutely amazing to see athletes speaking their mind. I mean, I think this is like this is, you know, human nature at its core. Right. And when you really believe in something like you should stand up and speak up for it. And, you know, whatever that is, just I, I think that like this is nothing new. We've seen this with I mean, Muhammad Ali is, you know, almost as important of a figure politically and in the civil rights space as he is an athlete like and that type of thing is 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 nothing new like that's always been the case and i think now more than ever you know like we have the opportunity to create an audience for ourselves, no matter who you are whether you're an athlete whether you're an entertainer whether you're on youtube you know whether you are just a fashionable person or whatever you can create your own audience and to have someone say that no that person created their uh, audience because of a god-given gift and hard work and talent with a ball or some sport nullifies the fact that they have an opinion is kind of asinine to me but um i I do think that like we're just in an an interesting place where lebron is kind of the you know he's kind of taken like the the new um face of this kind of stuff just because he's been in so much stuff and and obviously building a school is an incredible feat and you know completely admirable and to have people kind of attacking him for even doing that is just like kind of ridiculous but you know you look at like Colin Kaepernick and those kind of athletes that like didn't quite reach the popularity um you know of LeBron and I think that's kind of like kind of shows exactly how it works right like you get to a certain level and it's like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And then somebody up above says, no, no more of that. And, you know, I just think that like, it's ridiculous because you wouldn't do like the same kind of people are doing the same thing to, you know, the YouTubers. Like we, Jacques and I were just talking about, you know, um, what's his name with like the, the inappropriate YouTube videos recently. Like that person doesn't deserve to have the voice if, if LeBron doesn't deserve to have his voice heard, right? Um, but I, you know, and right. so I don't know. That's kind of off on a tangent, but yeah, I I think it's important. Athletes are big, important people in our times these days. You know, it's different than it was twenty twenty five years ago. They're super influential, right. and I like it. I think they should speak up for what they believe in. You know, and but at the same time, like I want to keep sport pure, like sport is sport it's competition it's fun it gets people active like you know i i'm worried that it's going to become more of a you know like the whole thing with kaepernick like let him play football man he's a good football player like keep the sport focused on that but at the same time he should be allowed to stand up for what he believes in you know and the other thing that i think of like with equality shoes is you know jerseys forever now anytime um like a teammate or an uh, an ex-teammate or someone special to the team passes away, they've always put their name on the jersey or the number mm-hmm. on the jersey. And that's always been yeah. kind of reserved for that. And so I, I think they should, you know, continue to respect that and do that. 
Um, I just hope that like basketball doesn't end up with all these players with just social cause everywhere. And it gets so confusing that people don't care anymore. Yeah, it loses the it uses the uh, importance or relevance if it becomes overly saturated. Yeah. yeah. So I, I totally totally get that. Uh, and all right, and here here's an awkward transition. <laughs> yes, the best guy. Yeah, the best guy. There's the beatbox you guys were looking for. Boom, transition. Um, we call him out. We call him out. It makes it obvious, and people then people are like, oh, that was a transition. It's very cool. Um, there's a there's a special boot, and I, I, when this story came up, I thought of Tiffany. Uh, just for, uh, for those about out there that don't know about this, Tiffany is actually uh, a formerly a plastics engineer. Um, in my mind, she just got bored with like creating things and, and <laughs> being like so awesome that she was like, "I've got to do something else." This plastic engineering thing is. It's over. I'm over it. I'm actually uh, the actually people in Haiti, still a plastics engineer. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. It's, well, there you go. It's my degree. Well, there you go. Let's take, take that. See, she, she's a plastic engineer by degree. See, I told you, Tiffany. Tiffany is special. Uh, the good folks over at Timberland. Um, for for people that wear Timberlands, mostly those I imagine, mostly those in like the Northwest are on the East Coast because we really don't wear them here in California, or I should say in LA. Not me say California. We don't wear them really here in California. They started making canvas-like uppers out of recycled plastic bottles picked up from the beaches of Haiti, which sounds very, very cool. Um, and they actually broke it down. And Tiffany, I know you broke this process down a little bit for us a few episodes ago, but I'm going to read this and then you can kind of hop in and tell me exactly what this means. Uh, the company that does this with Timberland is called Thread, and it says Thread breaks down the bottles into flakes heats up the mixture then passes it through an extruder like water passing through a shower head it then rolls and bales up the threads so they can be spun into fabrics the material is like polyester uh pet plastic like polyester comes from oil um i think i know what that means but can you put that in terms um so that a four-year-old such as myself would understand <laughs> yeah <laughs> Sure. It's it's similar to the Adidas process that we talked about for um, Parley, uh, except Parley, they actually take it back to the monomer. So they do involve like a level of chemistry with what they're doing with what Thread and Timberland are doing is is how we described it for. So think of Play-Doh, you know, when you had the Play-Doh and the little spaghetti machine and you just wad up the Play-Doh and you shove it in there and it squirts out the strings of spaghetti effectively uh -huh. that's what they're doing they're taking the bottles they're basically shredding them for all intents and purposes then they heat it up and they throw it through an extruder and they make the fiber now the extrusion head is so tiny i mean it's the size of a fiber it's that diameter and then they use that oh, fiber okay. to then i think this looks like a woven a canvas so it's a, a woven yeah. product and they weave it together to make the fabric so the interesting thing to me they're like it looks like is I guess, and maybe this speaks to my ignorance, is regular canvas material, is that plastic as well? Yes. Like that's ge like jean, right? Is, I, I thought like canvas is like a jean or like fabric, like a thread. I don't know. What am I? Uh, educate me. Here. Yeah, it depends on what kind of canvas it is. So canvases are basically, they represent the weave 
And so the pattern that's kind of in it, and uh, there's a couple other differentialities to it. But when you weave something, you can put any kind of fibers in there. So it can be a cotton canvas, it can be a polyester canvas, it can be a nylon canvas, and all of those oh. will feel different and they'll have different hands. The only one that's not plastic there that I mentioned is the cotton one. And so that's, you know, obviously a natural fiber. So cotton, wool, um, those are pretty much the natural fibers that are used. There's a little bit of paper and thread, a uh, tree-based one now, like um, Allbirds uses in their tree hugger shoes. <laughs> but more mm-hmm. or less, the rest, anything polyester, rayon, nylon, those are all polymers that are extruded and kind of made in that manner. The cotton is obviously made different. It's spun. It's stretched and spun versus yeah. the extruded plastics. Okay, and one more question. What is PET plastic? So it's polyethylene tetrafluoride, I believe it is. Um, and it just re- it represents a polymer that's used to make bottles. So PET is easy to blow mold, and most of your bottles are actually blow molded. That's how the process is mm-hmm. for making them. Like there's injection molding, extrusion molding, blow molded. And so it's just a kind of plastic that has the proper good properties, basically, to make a bottle. So... Um, different properties they look for is like transparency most all bottles are transparent or have a tint to them um and then also lightweight thin you can make it super thin but it's still durable so on and so forth that's super interesting so the cool thing about this uh is that they're actually employing people in haiti to collect the bottles and and then they're turning them into thread and thread is turning them into fabric Uh, I guess. And then also like Timberland is also investing in Haiti uh, where they're planting trees across the island. They're helping farmers increase their um, sustainable seed banks. Uh, And they're actually committed to buying organic cotton from Haiti as well, which is a very cool um, tie in that they're not just, you know, going there to to do one thing. They're actually like investing in the in the country, which is something that obviously we wish all businesses would do, like invest into the communities that they're a part of. But the, I guess the, the bigger question here is, is this plastic sort of recycling or, or, or I guess upcycling or repurposing, is that, a, is that a legitimate future for the footwear industry? Yeah, that's a great question because, I, I mean, I think it's great that they're using recycled bottles to make this product, but how do they recycle this product? Is their plans, do they have plans to basically tear shoes apart and recycle them back into the process? That's, that's difficult. That's much more difficult because of the different materials involved. There's rubber, plastics, and as we talked about last week, you have to separate those all out. You can't recycle them all together into one thing. They have to be all separated. So I'm not sure if it's sustainable yet, but knowing how much people care about this and how much they're moving forward with it, I would guess that there's a few mm-hmm. companies working pretty hard on it. It seems like there's, you it's know, from what I've seen, it seems like there's plenty of plastic pollution that can be, at least for, you know, I don't know how long it will last, but there's tons and tons and tons of this in the ocean, right? So it seems like at least for the time being, this is a good way to, you know, kind of, kill two birds with one stone so to speak and like actually do something that's better for the environment in terms of like cleaning that up um but i'm kind of curious too like how this you know like down the road kind of becomes a thing because like i don't think we're in danger of like running out of you know recyclable plastic right like 
that's probably no. decades away at best. But <laughs> right. it definitely, right. you know, like to me is a big sign of shift in, in, in that every, you know, almost every brand has some sort of initi- initiative like this. And, you know, this being like one of the more aggressive ones, you know, kind of along with Adidas that we talked about before, it's just an exciting thing to see. And I wonder what, like, what else is going to come from it, right? Like, I think these are just like the, in, in their infancy and to, as far as like what could be done with recyclables and, and how people are going to, you know, kind of use this type of material in the future. Yeah, I'd love to see like recycled product because it's so important to the economy moving forward and, and the earth, you know, like I'd love to see it being costing less and then, but the process for mm. it costs, you know, it's a very manual process right now to recycle all those bottles and pick them apart and clean them and all that stuff. I'd love to see virgin materials or product that's made 100% virgin be taxed up big time so that yeah. people start purchasing the more recycled product. Oh, it kind of forces them into it. Interesting. Um, I'd love to see an area too where if you recycle and you're you're good about your recycling, you're sorting things properly, doing that, like you get you get benefits for that, you get bonus for that. Um, because it, it doesn't just like, there's still people dropping trash, using plastic water bottles all over the place. It's not helping, you know? Do you think that that's something that like, I a hundred percent agree. I think like, especially on the production side of like encouraging, you know, the, or taxing like the, the virgin plastic usage versus encouraging, you know, the recyclable or recycled stuff. Do you think that that kind of thing, obviously this is not, it's (laughs) more off course than probably we were planning to go but do you think like that kind of thing can actually work on like a consumer level as well because i mean like just to you know my tree hugger nature i just started using like metal straws not too long ago and like take them with us wherever we go kind of thing like don't get them from you know the coffee shop and all that and it's it's gotten pretty easy like it took a while like at first it was like i don't want to do this but it's now it's just like oh it's just the norm for me and I'm wondering if, like, that kind of, like, you know, encourage the recyclable elements or, you know, taxing, like, the things that we don't want to see. If, obviously, big business is going to fight those kind of things if it's cheaper for them and they make more money. But do you think that that's something that consumers can can eventually, um, you know, I don't know if benefit from is the right word, but, like, you know, be a part of? Absolutely. I mean, look at the luggage industry, right? When bags were free, you took a lot. Now, bags cost a lot, so you don't bring as much, right? How many people do you see on planes with just a carry-on and that's all they brought? So, I mean, I think money is a great motivator, um, especially when it comes to recycling and, and helping with the earth. But big business doesn't like it you know it makes it much more difficult for them that's why if adidas pulls off this whole everything's recycled by 2024 that will be huge that will give all the other companies a there won't be a reason why they're not doing it too so yeah i think it can happen yeah it's it's actually kind of interesting too like you you said Jacques. they're like timberland being very focused on on haiti i kind of wonder if you know, some of these companies might take this same approach, right? Like there's two, there seems to be two, two like very um, good opportunities to, to both like do something and then have a cool story behind it. And like Timberland saying, hey, we're going to, we're going to own like Haiti in, in the sense that everything we do is going to kind of like look at this and how do we help them throughout our business expenses and our expenditures where Adidas is obviously taking 
the you know more aggressive approach but I, I wonder if like there'll be a di- like other companies saying hey you know this happened in this you know it's unfortunate but like natural disasters tend to spark like the you know kind of human nature of businesses or the the humanity side of businesses i guess so i got my one last question on this tiffany yeah. um is is there a well i guess I, I i i imagine the answer is no to this question but is there a performance hit either up or down when you use recycled materials yeah absolutely it's down you know like the the timberland threadx is a great example because it's like a canvas-based material. And if you've ever worn a canvas shoe that doesn't have a lining in it, it's it's kind of rough. You know, the waxed canvas ha- tends to have a little nicer hand to it, but there's definitely a performance takeaway. Like the, the material won't be as soft. The uh, performance attribution, it tends to get brittle a little bit more often. Um, and a lot of times, you know, like right now when they build a product, if there's recycled content in it, like I, my senior project in college, you know, was um, basically how much filler material can we put in to these plastic components before they're completely unusable? And we tested them all along the way to check, you know, what percentage of viability they still have. And in that, we actually used limestone because it was a worst case scenario, right? Because it's completely not right. reusable. Um, and it, it wasn't much over like 20, 25% before the component, the entire product was not viable anymore. So if you think of like this shoe using, like they don't state how much is recycled or if it's hundred percent, you know, we don't know that, but once it's used right. once, can they recycle it and use it again? Like this is where the chemistry companies need to jump in here and start to figure out like, how can we, we reinstate properties how can we let these materials get recycled a hundred times over and still be viable? Or if there are materials that can do that versus the ones that can't, you know, get everybody to lean towards the ones that can be reused consistently and recycled. Yeah. Now, my, my conspiracy theory mind, uh, when you say stuff like that, makes me think that's something that will never happen because a business would be like, no, why would we give them something that they can use over and over and over? That means they would never buy anything new from us. But maybe that's just my conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory mind going to work. Um, anyway, speaking of using things over and over and over, <laughs> God, I love these transitions. I'm so good at this. I am so good at this transition thing. Um, there's a Nike shoe called the Air Max 1. Um, and uh, it's a it's an iconic shoe. It's a shoe that set a precedent. It's a shoe that inspires. It's a shoe that you recognize right off the top. And um, I'm going to toss this to Nick because he brought to the table a shoe by <laughs> Alexander McQueen that, um, let's just say, uh, it's heavily inspired by the Air Max One. <laughs> Yeah, heavily heavily inspired is a is an understatement. I think. I mean, I think the you know the nature of like high end fashion brands and like basically just blatantly ripping off you know um, more sneakerhead type shoes or more like general you know kind of consumer type shoes is um, nothing new. But I also think that it's like the most you know ridiculous thing out there. Um, you know because. I obviously don't know Alexander McQueen, but I would assume that the reason he's making the shoe is because he likes wearing Air Max Wantons in the same, you know, university red OG colorway. So he decided to make an Alexander McQueen shoe that basically has the same, you know, 
up almost the same upper, you know, same color blocking with a little bit chunkier of a midsole. And I think that, you know, it's just kind of like, can we get past this? Like if you're, if you're really a designer, like a high end fashion designer, why would you be making like what I would call like normal, you know, products from, you know, kind of like traditional consumer brands and trying to make them the same, but like slightly different. I don't see the value in it. Um, and I just don't know, like on the other side of this, I don't understand like who, if at this point too, like because sneakers are so popular worldwide compared to what they were maybe 10 or 15, 20 years ago, why would you even want to spend $800 on a shoe that looks like a shoe that you would buy, you know, at a swap meet or something like that? Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I mean, you know, Alexander McQueen, he's obviously passed away. These are the designers that are running and still using his name on product. Um, I don't think he would ever actually do this. <laughs> I mean, uh, it kind of surprises me. But the article does talk about, you know, the Stan Smith and a few other products. So I don't know. So to defend the designers here. Um, this is a more bulky dad shoe or oversized runner, as uh, Tyler Wadamanuk calls it over at GQ, um, a.k.a. dad shoes is what I'm calling it. And I, I guess my, my thing is, like, if this wasn't made by a luxury brand, if it wasn't, quote unquote, Alexander McQueen and this was Kmart or this was a Walmart shoe. Like, no one would care about it. But just because the name Alexander McQueen is attached to it, everyone's like, or at least GQ was like, this shoe is official and it means business. Or like, it's, I don't like, I guess I'm just trying to understand the, the logic behind, I guess, and this is more of a consumer thing. If they, I guess if the consumer is impressed by the name, by the brand, then it's okay. But if they're not familiar with the brand, then it doesn't matter and it's eight hundred dollars and i don't know and i wonder i wonder like how that you know and to tiffany's point like the designers that are that are designing for the alexander mcqueen brand like what is the like one is there respect for the name that you're that you're working under or is there reason for it because obviously like putting nice materials on something is I think something that most people can enjoy and appreciate, right? But like to have something that just doesn't can't stand apart and like you said, like if you if you walked into, you know, a Payless shoe store and saw that on the shelf, which you absolutely could, not as nice of materials because you wouldn't be able to sell it for, you know, fifty bucks or whatever their price point is. But you could you could see this shoe having like you know, not to pick on him, but like the Shack logo on the side as a as a runner available at Payless Shoes for forty or fifty bucks. Right. Well. Oh, here's a, go go ahead, Tiffany. Well, I was just gonna say. I mean, I like that it's eight hundred dollars because it makes the Hyper Adapt look cheap, right? <laughs> I mean, at least it auto laces, you know. And and second of all, if you look at the images, there's one image that shows the inside of the heel, and you see those giant wrinkles. I mean, I can tell from here they're more than a yeah. half inch. Talk about Blisterville. I mean, not going to be oh. comfortable. <laughs> I love it. I love it. This is why you are on this podcast. I love that so much. You're like, nah, son. Nah, son. Get the, you get, might as well get the hyper Get, get that leather. You'll be way happier. Right? <laughs> 
think somebody need to cut that cut and so ain't right. That cut and so ain't right. Uh, so looking at this, I'm uh, looking at the article here. There's a line here um, that I just want to, uh, you know, quick message to Tyler. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, you wrote a line here that says, while high fashion labels borrowing ideas from iconic sneaker brands seems like it should be a party file. The mix of high and low is just the kind of things that sneaker heads eat up. Uh, quick uh, correction here. Uh, it's not the kind of thing that sneaker heads eat up, actually. It's the kind of thing that actually enrages sneaker heads uh, because it's, it's almost... How, what's a good way to put this? It's our way. It's Basically, we see that people are robbing or taking stealing i should say from sneakerhead culture in order to fatten up their pockets when they have no direct connection to the sneakerhead world um so instead of uh sneakerheads eat that up i would say doing the kind of things that makes sneakerheads angry just change a couple of words <laughs> there at the end to um to make that correct, and I think to make that more relevant. I don't know if that, I don't know how that's going to work for your SEO, but uh, as far as the sneakerheads go, um, we're not cool with that, and we see exactly what the designers at Alexander McQueen are doing, um, and we and, and we don't take to it kindly. Uh, so yeah, just throwing that out there. Uh, just next time, Tyler, if you want a reference, you can reach out to one of us uh, at the Outside Pods Twitter. Or you can reach us on Instagram if you need a, a subject matter expert to uh, provide a little uh, inside or insider information on those sorts of things. Uh, but with that being said, uh, speaking of knockoffs, um, now we have uh, a big bust that went down for $73 million. That's million in counterfeit Jordans. Now, this story goes directly against the thought that Jordans aren't selling. Um, or maybe this article is the reason why Jordans aren't selling because people are able to get their hands on these counterfeit versions. So um, actually, it wasn't just Jordans. It was Nikes and Air Jordans. I'm sorry. Let me read this article again because ABC News called them Nike Air Jordans, uh, which is obviously already wrong. They didn't <laughs> refer to a subject matter expert either, apparently, when writing this story. <laughs> it's kind of no, they, they refer to both of them uh, in so there. So. Oh, yeah. Nike Air Jordan's sneakers that, if authentic, would have been worth $73 million according to NYPD and Homeland Security Investigations. So, uh, basically, everyone knows Jordan's sell for about $190 per pair. Uh, investigators inspected nearly 27,000 pairs of sneakers before charging a uh, these five people with... Um, counterfeit goods for trafficking for trafficking what is it with counterfeit trafficking conspiracy and trafficking and counterfeit goods um those things sound sound especially <laughs> heinous uh, especially to a sneakerhead um so here's the, here's the thing about about this story the fakes or the counterfeits are getting so 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 good and it's almost impossible to tell the difference between a counterfeit and the original uh, Tiffany, we talked about this a little bit before we hopped on the podcast, but can you kind of, you know, speak to it a little bit on like how good this stuff is becoming? Yeah, I mean, 
it's incredible. They're, they finally have figured out the counterfeiters that they need to copy all of the details, right? Every single detail. Like I would have to look at, you know, counterfeit mags um, and even a couple counterfeit hyper adapts. And you look at them in just photos. And since I worked on the projects, I could identify, you know, I know those shoes like at the back of my hand. Um, I could totally right. identify when it was counterfeit. But for many people, they would have no idea. I mean, the slight details that you look for are... You know, it's it's just not well known. So, I mean, the counterfeiters are doing good. I hope people don't find these counterfeit shoes in their collection. But unfortunately, there's looks like there's about 320, 350,000 pairs <laughs> that are out there. That's that's insane. That is crazy. And so, Tiffany, and, and it, it goes down to even stuff like the glue that they use um and the fonts and everything like they use like that stuff used to be pretty easy to to notice like you could smell a shoe and be like ah no that's fugazi or you could see the font and be like nope they use times new roman they should have did better like you can tell right away but some of this stuff is is like almost an exact replica of the shoes i guess yeah i mean i would say the easiest way to identify is you look for little mistakes like you know jump men that are in reverse <laughs> they only go one way they don't actually you can't you're not supposed to put them on shoes in both directions things like that but you'd have to know the logo well enough to know that you know a lot of times like the jump man logo will be messed up or um like right. on the tag the factory tag like sometimes there's misspelled words on there i think that's the most common thing is like finding a misspelled word then you know it's a fake um but yeah again like there would be, re unless you were the original developer and you knew what materials were used, because they can sub in a different, you know, red material and no one might know the difference. They just think it's a different skew, right? But only the original developer right. would know that, no, that was actually a suede and it was this particular suede. So if you scratch it, you'll see a white background. If it's a red background, you know it's not the, the same material. So little details wow. like that, I mean... Yeah, geometries, you know, like mag, the geometry, people would grossly have the geometry wrong of things, and, and but it looked close enough that people thought it was real. That's amazing. It is kind of wild, too, because I, I think the other part that, like, this has become such a, obviously, like, now there's businesses, you know, dedicated to, like, supposedly, like, identifying fake sneakers um, and people paying for that service, but I think that it's also interesting to think about, like, you know, when it was much easier for people to like i would say like 10 or 15 years ago like the nike sb era i could identify almost any fake sb that came out because there were so few that were actually being counterfeited right or like it would very it'd be very specific ones the ones that people wouldn't want to pay a, a huge amount for and now there are like counterfeit shoes of like everything out there like you you can probably yeah. find Almost every shoe that's sold in a Foot Locker, in a Nike store, in an Adidas store, on the internet from some like bootleg site for you know half the price, and that to me is just like how yeah. like how this problem is like so huge. To think of like you know three hundred, four hundred thousand extra pairs circulating in the market, it's no wonder like there's you know uh, like the the value of Jordans and you know even Yeezys to, to that. You know, like not necessarily this article, but like the value of both of those shoes has declined so much in the past three to five years because there's just so many of them. There's so many fakes out there and they're so good that 
I don't think most people even know the difference. So here, just a quick little bit of inside information here. Basically, what they would do, they would make the shoes in China. They would arrive in Newark, but they would arrive without any logos on them. And that's how they were kind of able to get under the radar. And then they would be sent to Brooklyn and Queens where they would add on the logos and then they would be distributed for sale. So basically, they would ship like a blank Air Jordan shoe with no Air Jordan on them or Nike or any of that sort of stuff on it. And then add it when they got to the States and then go out and sell them, which is just blows my mind. And for you sneakerheads out there, I know most of you guys probably you can probably spot a fake Jordan. You know what it is. The issue is those aren't the people that are probably buying these shoes. It's probably the average Joe that wants a pair of Jordans or sees a pair of Jordans. They're the ones that are going on to these sites and buying these because they don't know any better. Like sneakerheads, we're pretty... Uh, we're pretty, uh, I, w- I would say, educated in, in to know that if we go to a site and we see a Jordan for like half price, we know we could probably figure out that it's not real. Same for a Yeezy or something like a hype shoe for a half or a third of the price. We know it's not real. But for the average consumer, they know that, oh, the Yeezys are, are dope. The Yeezys are super hype right now. I'm going to look them up. And then they find these Fugazi sites and buy them, not knowing that they bought a fake shoe. So this is uh this is your way sneakerheads this is your responsibility it is time for you i feel like they just start up some music boom, 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 boom behind me here um this is your opportunity to step forth and educate the masses let them know when they have gone to the wrong sites and not to buy the fake shoes you have the power sneakerheads it is in your hands make a difference you know it's kind of funny like now that we've gone through both of these stories like if these counterfeiters would have just read the alexander mcqueen article ahead of time they could have just left the logos off and sold them for eight hundred dollars <laughs> well i mean <laughs> sort of but i think we have to question customs a little bit like how did customs let these in how did they not question Four contain forty-two containers full of generic sneakers going into Brooklyn. Like, what yeah, what sneaker true. brands originate in Brooklyn and sell that many shoes? Like, customs is usually really hard to get stuff passed. You know, like you have to have your documentation correct. Like, you've got to really have your stuff together. So, like, how did they let this go on for two years? Like, doesn't make sense to me. That's yeah. true. That's a, that's a, that's a good one. I I would love to 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 get like on the on be be like a ride along for one of these cases where they bust like these people or they like investigate one of these like fake sneaker things i'm gonna look in yeah see if i can get a ride along. you can be custom subject matter expert (laughs) there you go that would be dope there you go last thing before we get out of here today uh i was reading in this story there's the uh ice hsi special agent in charge angel m Melendez. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's not him. I'm sorry. It was Manhattan U.S. Attorney Jeffrey S. Berman. Um, he had. <laughs> there's. A, I'm trying to find the. Picture. It's like straight out of a movie. It's a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, it's out of a movie. Yeah, it's like a bad movie. You know that? Uh, what's that? What's that TV show where he says a line like somebody dies and he's like, "I guess they won't be walking again." And it's like. Bing! Like that, it goes into like the music. It's like one of those movie. He has his his he has his line here at the end, and he's like, "Just don't do it." <laughs> I feel like 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 really really Jeffrey. That's a, that's your quote. That's the quote you give the media. Just 
don't do it. All right, we get it. We get it, Jeffrey. You want to be cool. Uh, anyway, uh, as always, guys, we appreciate you listening to the Outside the Box podcast. I am Jacques Slade. Uh, you can find me at Kusto all over the internets or the interwebs. Uh, that's on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all of that good stuff. Uh, but again, this show would not be what it is without the other two people that are on this show. I, I, I say that and I joke about it a lot, but I do really mean that wholeheartedly. They really add to the show and make this show what it is. Nick, tell them where uh, they can Nick find Engvall, you. you can find me on all the social platforms, N-I-C-K-E-N-G-V-A-L-L, or at Sneaker History on all the social platforms or sneakerhistory.com. But I uh, wholeheartedly just really want to learn from Tiffany on this. Um, so I'm going to let her tell you how to find her. Uh, Tiffany Beers on YouTube. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's just Tiffany Beers and on Instagram. That's Tiffany Beers, Nick Ingball, and I am Jacques Slade. As always, guys, we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, make sure you follow us on the Outside the Pods on Twitter and on Instagram. If you have any feedback, anything you want to tell us, any of these stories you love, any of these stories you hate, or if we just told the story the wrong way and you think you could do it better, let us know. Uh, you got to make this show better, and we appreciate everything you do. Also, uh, don't fail, sell fake sneakers because uh, each defendant faces a maximum of a potential sentence of 20 years. You get 20 years for selling fake cakes. All right, guys, I'm Jacques Slade, and I'm out of here. Peace.